0: Dear Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our ears so that we may hear your voice, open our minds so that we may know your leading and guidance, open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love, and in doing so, become more like Jesus that your glory may shine through us into a dark world that needs you. We ask all this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. i going to read John 6. We've got Lucy, who is going to read John 6 from verse 1 to 40, and then Steve is going to finish the chapter for us. I accept that this is quite a long chapter, and I accept that Malcolm will be talking about verses probably uh, 6 to 14. However, please do not switch off. Please try and listen and see what happens to the people that get fed. Follow, the, follow their story through the whole chapter because it's important and it's interesting. John chapter 6, Lucy and then Steve. John chapter 6, 1
1: to 40. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough food for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves. Gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all eaten, had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water and they were terrified but he said to them it is I don't be afraid then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they had been heading the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but they had gone away alone then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor that his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, Give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day.
2: Verse 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I come down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will also all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you can eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit. And they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning. Which of them did not believe. And who would betray him. He went on to say. This is why I told you. That no one can come to me. Unless the father has enabled him. From this time Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. "'You do not want to leave too, do you?' Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, "'Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. "'We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God.' Then Jesus replied, "'Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil?' He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, would
0: later betray him. Thank you. Malcolm, will you come and exhort us, please? Come and encourage us. Good morning,
3: all. Well, the um, story that I'm about to share qualifies me um, to be part of a diminishing population group uh, in fact, uh, my two daughters, Mariana and Faith, will possibly, um, probably other young people here, discount what uh, I'm about to say as hyperbole. No one they will uh, reason has been around that long. No one, they will surmise, remembers those days and lives to tell about it. No one is alive who remembers the day that email entered their world. But as God is my witness, I am alive. And I was there, and I remember. The ninth decade of the 20th century was just getting underway. John Major still had dark hair. And I had this misconception that email was a passing fancy. It would go the the same way as the Sinclair C5 and the Smurfs. I was wrong. Who in their right minds, I reasoned to myself, would exchange the postal service for a keyboard? And what I'm confessing publicly today is that I was overwhelmed by the world of computers. It intimidated me. The world of computers felt like it belonged to the city of London. I was learning to play chopsticks and the world of computers was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It was the Atlantic Ocean and I was a tiny little minnow. Still, having started work in the accountancy profession, I got thrown in. I went to sleep one night in the world of sticky notes and I awoke the next morning in this paperless society. I was so confused. I always thought... That a cursor was someone who used foul language. And I thought that a modem was something that you flushed. You're kind of slow this morning. <laughs> and I thought that a, a mouse was a, a rodent that you trapped. And as far as I knew, logging on was the job of a lumberjack. And I monitored, and, and, sorry, and a monitor was someone. Uh, in primary school who handed out the free school mil- milk and the jammy dodges forgive me for, for lagging behind or logging behind but i was intimidated you might say i was overwhelmed you know the you know the word perhaps you know the feeling you know that rabbit in the headlights emotion Whenever the information is too much to learn, the change is too much to process, the decisions are too many to manage, or the grief too deep to survive, the mountain is too tall to climb, or the crowd is too numerous to feed. At least that's what the disciples told Jesus. I'm just going to read for you John chapter 6, verse 1 to 13 from the the Good News Bible. just gives a little different slant. After this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as it is also called. A large crowd followed him, because they'd seen his miracles of healing the sick. Jesus went up a hill and sat down with his disciples. The time of the Passover festival was near. Jesus looked around and saw that a large crowd was coming to him. So he asked Philip, Where can we buy enough food to feed all these people? He said this to test Philip. Actually, he already knew what he would do. Philip answered, For everyone to have even a little, it would take more than 200 silver coins to buy enough bread. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, there's a little boy here who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish, but they will certainly not be enough for all these people. Make the people sit down, Jesus told them. There was a lot of grass there. So all the people sat down. There were about 5,000 men. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God, and distributed it to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, and they all had as much as they wanted. When they were all full, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces left over, let us not waste a bit. So they gathered them all and filled twelve baskets with the pieces left over from the five barley loaves, which the people had eaten. John's, John, the Gospel writer, does us a, a favour here when he tells us that this was the season of Passover. The Passover celebration occurred in the, in the springtime, and so we are understanding now that the chill of January and February has given way to the warmer weather and the wild f- flowers of March and April. This is Passover number one mentioned in the the Gospel of John. And so we're only two short springtimes away from the last Passover that Jesus will celebrate with his followers in the upper room. Jesus is celebrated as the, the modern day Passover because it commemorated the day that God led the Hebrews out of Egyptian slavery And did so with a a flurry of miracles. Is Jesus the the modern miracle worker who is going to lead the children of Israel into a new season of liberation in a a new form of the promised land? Well, apparently many people are thinking so because thousands of them follow him around the, the Sea of Galilee. And at a certain point, Jesus looked up and realises that they have no food. They had no food in their sack, and they had nowhere to shop. So let's just talk for a moment about the people and the problem. Let's just do away with the, the notion that appears in a, in a few commentators that Jesus performed no supernatural miracle in this event. Some writers have suggested that all Jesus did was set a good example and trigger a spirit of generosity. And really that the people had plenty of food, but they were just hiding it and they were selfish and they didn't want to share it. And they didn't want to share it with one another. And the writers seek to naturalise and normalise this miracle, giving Jesus credit for sim- simply setting a good example follow-worthy and encouraging us to do the same. Nice sentiment, but were the disciples lying in Mark's version of this story? In Mark chapter 6 and verse 36, when he said the people had nothing to eat. And then in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 6, in his version of this story, Jesus says, you better give them something to eat. No, these 5,000 men, plus women and children, probably a crowd of fifteen to 20,000, were hungry. And yes, Jesus was serious when he asked Philip, in verse 5, where can we buy enough food to feed all these people? Philip was a was a practical sort. And he looked out over the sea of faces. These thousands of people... And he heard the murmuring mob, and he imagined, and he imagined their grumbling stomachs. And he replied, without hesitation, "We haven't got enough of what it takes to face this challenge. Our purse hasn't got enough coins. Our, buzzer, our budget hasn't got enough pounds. Our, our capacity does not have enough ability. There too many mouths, and not." Enough Mulan. And the Good News translation, which I read, emphasizes the phrase, all these people. Look at Jesus' question in verse five where can we buy enough food to feed all these people? And in verse seven, Philip's response for everyone, to have even a little, it would take more than two hundred silver coins to buy enough food. And in verse 9, Andrew's idea to start with the boys' lunch, but then, but there will certainly not be enough, speaking of the loaves and fishes, for all these people. Philip saw no help for these people. Andrew had an idea, but the suggestion wilted in the face of all these people. And even Jesus acknowledged all these people. So what's your version of all these people? Maybe it's something as pedestrian as all this homework or all these nappies or maybe it's something more disturbing like all this depression or all this debt or you fill in the blank. The demand outweighs the supply and we're left feeling as helpless and hopeless as Philip, and as meagre as Andrew. And I'd like to think the disciples would do better by this point. They've seen more than a few miracles, haven't they? We'd like to hear them say, we can't do it, but Jesus, you can. But they and the others are pretty silent, aren't they? Maybe that's why Jesus tested them. He wanted them to see the opportunity that is within the obstacle. He wanted them to see the opportunity that's within the obstacle. You know, there's, there's an ancient story that relays the desire of a king to teach his subjects a lesson. So he placed a large boulder in the middle of the main road, blocking the entrance, the entranceway to the city. And then he hid in a nearby forest because he wanted to see how his subjects would respond to the obstacle in the middle of the path. Would they band together and move the rock out of the way? Or would they get discouraged and turn back? Well, they all turned back. One by one, they saw the obstacle. They each let out a complaint and then turned and walked away, with one exception. There was a peasant. And on on seeing the the boulder, he pressed his shoulder into it and he strained to move it out of the way. When it didn't work, he searched the woods for for a big stick that he could just use as leverage. And he finally dislodged the stone. And when he did, he saw beneath the stone that had been placed a sack of gold coins. And he opened the sack, and he noticed that there was a note, and it was a note from the king, which which read, the obstacle in the path always becomes the path. Never forget that within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. So what obstacle blocks your path today? What's your version of all these people? What holds you back? What keeps you from moving forward? What seems insurmountable to you? Might it be that this obstacle, this challenge, is really an opportunity for you to see how the Lord can work? That as you press into the obstacle, with his help, you might discover a bag of gold coins, an abundance of blessings, maybe even a message from the king. You see, Jesus is never in the business of removing all the challenges from our lives. He, he uses challenges to reveal himself to us. The challenge that you're facing is not about the challenge. It's about Jesus unveiling part of his character to you. That's the treasure beneath the obstacle. Isn't that the message of this miracle? Isn't that the message of this miracle? Make the people sit down, Jesus told them. There was a lot of grass there. So all the people sat down. There was about 5,000 men. And Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God, And distributed it to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish. And they all had as much as they wanted. And when they were all full, he said to his disciples, Gather the the pieces left over. Let us not waste a bit. So they gathered them all and filled twelve baskets with the pieces left over from the five barley loaves which the people had eaten. Well, they gathered how many baskets? Twelve. How many apostles were there? Twelve. Well, I guess each one of them got a souvenir. Verse 11 tells us how Jesus reacted to the challenge. First of all, Jesus began with gratitude. Jesus began with gratitude. He gave thanks. He didn't begrudge the crowd. He didn't belittle the small faith of the disciples, he genuinely thanked God. It says he offered thanks. He thanked God for the challenge. What's more, that Jesus worked with what he had. Jesus worked with what he had. You know, Jesus could have turned the nearby bushes into fruit trees, couldn't he? He could have caused the Galilean Sea to spew out an abundance of fish. Instead, he chose to use the basket of a small boy. He used what he had. He took the, the little gift of the little boy and the little hope of Andrew, and he mixed them all together, and the, the result was an abundance abundant provision of people who ate, the scriptures say until they were all full. Once given to Jesus, he turned them into something amazing. The story began with with hungry bodies and ended with happy bellies, didn't it? I envision perhaps people sprawled on the grass like they'd just had a big chicken picnic and apple pie. There was so much, an overflow of food, that the twelve apostles each get a basket of food that they thought could not be created. Twelve baskets of food. The impossible challenge of feeding all these people became the unforgettable miracle of all these people fed. Here's my question. Might the same happen to you with your problem, with your challenge, with your obstacle? Perhaps some of you have been so gloomy, so overcast you've been so overwhelmed losing sleep because of all these problems that are coming into your life what if you shifted your attitude what if there is waiting for you beneath this obstacle a sack of gold a message from the king of kings would you be open to a miracle would you And would you be part of a miracle? Would you so participate with Christ in this that he uses you to distribute the bounty of these blessings to to other people? Here's how it works. First, you begin with gratitude. I know we make a big deal, don't we, about thanking God for our blessings. But do we talk enough about thanking God for our burdens? because I believe that this burden is going to to be an opportunity for you to flex your muscles and show me how strong you are. Thank you that you consider me worthy of a new challenge. Jesus thanked his Father. You know, I think an artist should paint this Green Hillside with these thousands of people. And when they do paint... All those scowling faces, because anyone who's hungry is grumpy, aren't they? So thousands of people are grumpy, their stomachs are grumbling, and the disciples are scowling, because they're intimidated, they're they're overwhelmed. But there's one thankful face, and to whom does that belong? And he's smiling. Jesus is smiling. He's offering thanksgiving for this problem. On a given day, in a given company, everyone everybody's scowling. On a given day in a given school, everybody's grumpy. On a given day, in a given traffic jam, everybody's complaining. Is there somebody in the midst of the multitude who will lift up their eyes like Jesus did and be thankful? thankful even for the problem? Could it be that the miracle is defined by somebody who's willing to be thankful for the problem? You know, gratitude is the posture out of which problems are successfully faced. Gratitude is the posture out of which problems are successfully faced. Ingratitude is a terrible posture. You can't do anything like that. But gratitude lifts the shoulders and lifts the eyes and looks up to the Lord. With gratitude, you too have the right posture with with which to face the problems of life. Perhaps there may be, there should be signs in all our kitchens that say there will only be cheerful faces at this kitchen table. Maybe we ought to put that in all boardrooms. There will only be cheerful faces in this boardroom. Maybe we ought to put that over the entrance to our church here. No grumps allowed. Only cheerful faces because God has been so good to us. We have reason to be grateful, not just for our blessings, but also for our burdens. We begin with gratitude. And then secondly, would you just give God what you've got? Would you just give God what you've got? If all you've got is five pieces of bread, that's okay. Or two pieces of fish, that's okay. If all you've got is a a picnic that your mum gave you this morning, that's enough. Jesus will start with that. If all you've got is just a willing spirit, if all you've got is the ability to, to get out of bed and go to work, if all you've got is an apology, a meager prayer or a smelt or a small faith, that's OK. It's not ours to tell Jesus that our gift is too small. Don't let the fact that your gift is small keep you from giving it because you don't think it would make a difference that's up to Jesus Christ can take a small thing and do a big thing remember he used the rudimentary tool of three nails and a cross and made it into the greatest tool of redemption that the world has ever seen the Lord can take your gift, however small it is, your contribution, just showing up, and he can take that and he can bless it. And he can use it to create something that is so abundant that thousands of people are blessed. And once they are blessed, here's the final thing that you do. You share abundantly. You share abundantly. Be open to miracles coming your way. And when they come, share the proceeds. Distribute the bread. Distribute the fish. The very thing that the disciples said they couldn't do, they end up distributing. Isn't that just terrific? So when the Lord surprises you and leaves you saying, you were right all along. Look at this, I got that job. Look at this, I did receive forgiveness. Look at this, I was restored with my former enemy. Things are better now. Would you then turn and become a source of blessing to others? What the Lord has given to you, give to others. No misers allowed, just generosity. Because Jesus has been so generous with us. Begin with gratitude. Be grateful. Give what you've got and then share your blessings. It really is, it really is that simple. And if anyone, by the way, can tell me why a cursor is called a cursor, will they please let me know?